Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? You that are watching online, so glad to have you with us today. We're continuing a series that we're simply calling Amazing Grace, and we've been talking about this idea that our God doesn't just extend grace to us. He is, in fact, a gracious God. That's who he is. By definition, that's who he is. So, so far on Easter Sunday, we kind of unpacked that word grace and an acrostic. We got it on the screen. Let's rehearse it. Uh, the G stands for, here we go. There it is. Say it with me. God's free gift. R is received by faith. Absolutely essential. Comes through Christ and enhances all of life forever. Now and throughout eternity, uh, we begin to learn how to live by grace, as, as the message paraphrases that idea of, of, of walking in the unforced rhythms of grace, that kind of relaxed but committed and intentional way of living that I believe God intended for us. 49 people committed their lives to Christ on Easter Sunday, and we're still celebrating that one today. Can we celebrate that? Amen. And if you're one of those people and you haven't been water baptized yet, you've got to let us know. So get us hooked up. Get into that water baptismal class. We'd love to have you uh, and uh, celebrate your, uh, your salvation in a very public way through water baptism. Last Sunday, we asked the question, if God is so gracious, then why do I still feel so guilty all the time? If this is a gracious God and I've committed my life to him, then shouldn't the guilt go away? And what we tried to unpack, if you missed it, you can pick that up by emailing us at info at bridgechurch.cc. But we tried to unpack that there are two different kinds of, of guilt. There is condemnation guilt that, that attacks, is kind of vague, it's kind of attacks you as a person, uh, and, and it really doesn't give you any solutions or answers, and I tried to tell you as clearly as I knew how last week that condemnation isn't from God. It ain't from God, we said. Uh, and so if you're feeling condemned, if you're feeling this vague sense of, ah, then it ain't from God, okay? Because if it's conviction, if it's guilt given by God, then it's a warning sign. Something's broke. Something's got to be fixed. Conviction is specific. It doesn't attack you. It attacks the issue and ultimately gives you a path to Life, which leads us to the question for today as we continue our series, and that is, what do you do if you're feeling guilty and you run it through the little test that I gave you last week and you determine that, in fact, this is conviction, that it is, in fact, God trying to speak to you and trying to pick your heart, uh, prick your heart, but you ignore the warning? What happens then? What happens if you say, eh? Yeah, I probably should do something about this. I probably should address this, but I'm not going to. And even if you don't do that intentionally, you just kind of process through it and move on, hope it goes away. Last week, I used the illustration of the temperature gauge in your car moving to hot. And when it gets to hot, you better stop and do something about it because it ain't going to get better. It's going to get worse. I thought about uh, our oldest son, Andrew, when he first finished high school, we helped him get a little, you know, beater car, uh, and uh, it's because he was going to a local college, community college, and was driving back and forth and going to, uh, and going to work, so we got him a little beater car. I, I didn't do enough uh, preparing him for how to take care of a car, and so one day I got a call from him and said, Dad, can you come pick me up? He said, why? He said, the beater broke. And so I found out where he was. I went to him, and, and there's still steam rising from the hood of the car. And I said, well, son, uh, what's going on? He said, I don't know. It just quit. So I popped the hood, and I looked at it, and I saw a big split in the water hose, and I realized he lost all of his water. And I said, well, son, didn't the temperature gauge read hot? He said, oh, no. <laughs> 
well, what did you do when you saw the steam coming out from the hood? Oh, well, did you think that might be a problem? Yeah, but I thought I could make it home. Well, he didn't just run it hot. He ran it till the motor locked up in the thing. So guess what Andrew got to do for a while? Walk. <laughs> because he didn't heed the warning. Have I gotten your attention yet? This is what we're going to talk about today. What do you do if you're feeling guilty and you process through it and you discover that it is in fact God that's calling you and saying, hey man, something's going on, you better do something about it, but you don't heed the warning. Those gauges are there for a reason. What are we going to do about it? Here, here's the next phase of that. Uh, are there temperature gauges for relationships? Are there? I mean, how many of you have teenagers or have had teenage children? Okay, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Uh, when your teenagers uh, start being a little more distant, when they start getting a little bit evasive about who their friends are, or they start avoiding your question about where they're going, is the temperature gauge moving? Is that something you ought to pay attention to? Somebody say yes, quick. It's, it's true. How, how about how many of you are married? Any married people in the room? God bless you. God bless you. I see that hand. If your husband or wife starts staying away a lot and they become evasive about where they're going and why they're going so long, is that something you might want to address? Is, is that true? It's true. Well, how about your relationship with God? Are there any indicators? I mean, if a friend of yours starts skipping church a lot and you just kind of miss them and you wonder what's going on, uh, or maybe they slip in late and, and leave immediately afterwards and they, and they stop serving and, and you ask them, hey man, what's going on? You know, I haven't seen you lately or you've been slipping and slipping out. Well, what's the deal? Well, you know, I've just really been busy lately. Is there a chance there might be a cause for concern? Is there? Is there a chance? Let's be honest, guys. We all know people who at one point were excited about Jesus. They were in love with Jesus. They couldn't wait to be with their brothers and sisters. They were all in serving. They were involved to the hilt. And somewhere along the way, the fire seemed to have dimmed. Am I right? We all know people like that. Some of you don't have to go past the mirror to see people like that. The bottom line is that every relationship, every relationship, every, how many? Every relationship has to be maintained to stay healthy, and drifting away is a possibility in every relationship you have. Whether we're talking about the parent-child relationship, or a marriage relationship, or a friendship, or your relationship with God and His family, we have to be aware and intentional about maintaining those relationships. In fact, it's a possibility for entire nations to drift away from God. Is that true? Jeremiah was a prophet during the time that Israel, as a nation, had drifted away from God. And he prayed in Lamentations 5.21, Restore us, O Lord, and, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys we once had. Can I tell you that's my prayer for our nation right now? that have watched in my lifetime a drift in our nation away from the things of God, and the Scriptures are clear, clear blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. <coughs> but hear me, guys, whether we're talking about an individual or we're talking about a nation, for if for any reason 
anyone has drifted away from being deeply in love with Jesus, it's cause for concern. And so today what I want to do is I want to show you the warning signs that you, in fact, might be drifting. And I'll explain to you why it's important that you pick those warning signs up early, but I want you to see what the warning signs are, and I want you to do kind of a self-assessment. It will be tempting today to say, boy, I wish so-and-so was here to be in this message, or man, I'm going to get so-and-so to be here for the 11 o'clock hour, and if that's coming into your mind, here's what I want you to say. He might be talking to me. Listen first through the lens of God, what are you trying to say to me about where I am? We're going to talk about the temperature gauge in our relationship with God. Uh, And to do that, we're going to go to a passage that's probably the clearest scripture I know that kind of lays that out. It gives us four attitudes and actions to watch for. And as we walk through those attitudes and actions, you're going to see a digression. You're going to see a kind of a domino effect. One leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the next. And so let me just say right up front, if you recognize any of these warning signs in your life, you don't have to wait till you get to the end of the road to turn around. You can turn around at any point. You can follow the steps at any point. And so what we're going to do today in our few minutes is I want to show you those warning signs, four simple and yet powerful truths And I want you to be asking yourself as we do, God, is there something I need to know about one of those warning signs in my life? The story is taken from the life of Peter, who, of course, was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He was the impetuous one. Peter was the guy that was constantly uh, saying stuff out of turn. Uh, You know, he's, he's always putting his foot in his mouth. In fact, sometimes I think the only reason he opened his mouth is to change feet. I mean, he was just one of those guys that was constantly doing something. By the time we get to Mark chapter 14, we're at the Last Supper. Jesus has gathered his disciples for what we now refer to as the Last Supper. Jesus knows what's coming. He knows that following that uh, supper, uh, he's going into a night of illegal trials. He's going to be tortured. He's going to die the worst possible death, death by crucifixion. And he tells his disciples in the midst of that setting, having explained to them what's going on, and they're struggling with what's going on, he says, and oh, by the way, one of you is going to betray me. And you can just imagine, they're all going, what, who, what, me? Is it me? What, what do you mean one of us? Which one of us is it? And finally, Judas says, is it me? And the Lord looks at him and says, what you're going to do, go ahead and get it done. Just get it done. Then Judas leaves, and Jesus drops a bombshell on the other 11. This is huge. You with me? He looks at the other 11 in verse 27, and he says, before this night is over, you're all going to stumble in your faith. Before this night is over, every one of you is going to have some trouble, which brings us to the first warning sign that you might be drifting, and that is the warning sign I'm simply going to call conceit. You can see it in Peter's response to Jesus' warning, verse 29, Mark 14, 29. Peter said, read it with me like, like you're Peter. Okay, here we go. Everyone else may stumble. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Come on. Everyone else may stumble, but not me. I will not. Can't you just hear his voice? These wimps might fail, but I'm not going to. Can I just be blunt with you here? Any time you see somebody else stumbling and you respond in your mind, in your heart with, that could never happen to me, you just set yourself up for a fall. 
Conceit is one of the number one warning signs that you're drifting from God. Solomon said it uh, so clearly almost 3,000 years ago, Proverbs 16, 18 from the NIV, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now hear me, I'm not saying your salvation is fragile. I'm not saying you should live in fear that you're going to be lost. But I'm telling you, don't ever allow yourself to think that couldn't happen to me. I'll tell you just personally that I'm, uh, one of the blessings of my life is that I was reared in a Christian home, and I, I was surrounded with some, some mature Christian men from the day I gave my life to Christ. I gave my life to Jesus the night before baccalaureate uh, service of my high school graduation, and, and I was surrounded almost immediately with some really mature uh, Christian men, and, and one of them told me very early on, because uh, I had a call to preach within six months, and, and they began to speak into my life, and one of them told me very early on, he said, Jim, now you need to be aware of this, Preachers tend to fail in one of three areas. They tend to fail in the area of ego or money or the opposite sex. So you need to be guarded in those three areas. And I took that to heart. And so many years ago, 40, almost 45 years ago, I took all that to heart. And I've been very guarded in all three of those areas for my whole life. Now, when it comes to ego, people kind of take care of that for me. Uh, Seems like anytime I start thinking I'm all that, uh, somebody will do something to remind me that I ain't all that. I had the privilege a few years ago of, uh, of being in charge of the altar teams for the Franklin Graham Crusade in Hampton Roads, Virginia. <coughs> and uh, so the night of, uh, of the weekend of the crusade, I was there with the big headsets, and I had all the badges, the venue pass badges, and I'm walking around, and everybody that's working in the altar, you know, I'm getting them organized. And members of our church were coming to the crusade, and so they would see me, and they would say, oh, Pastor Jim, we're so proud. You look so official. And just, you know, by the time I got about 20 of those, man, I'm feeling good about myself. I'm going, ha, ha, I think I'm going to stick my gut out a little bit more, and I'm going to stand up a little bit taller because I'm something. And then a mother, teenage daughter came in, and she said the same thing. Oh, Pastor Jim, we're so proud to see you like that. And I said, I know. What can I say? Her teenage daughter said, can I get a picture? I said, sure. Come on. Jump in. Let's get a picture. And she said to her mom, put it on video. So she did. And then the teenage girl said, uh, Pastor Jim, say, do you want fries with that? zoom right back to earth. It just seems like every time I get a little puffed up, God puts a wrinkle in the carpet for me, puts me back on my face. So ego's not too big of a deal. Uh, I haven't struggled with too much money. I, I just don't touch it. I just don't touch it. I, I, I've got trusted people here at the bridge, Pastor Jim Gillikin, Ricky Lancaster, the financial stewardship team. These are trusted men that handle all that stuff. I get reports. That, I just, I'm never around it. And it's not that I'm a dishonest person. I just know there's no way I can mishandle it if I don't handle it. Does that make sense? The opposite sex, same way. Can I tell you that probably the deepest heartbreak of my life is watching gifted pastors fail in the area of moral failures. I've seen it far too many times, and every time I do, I grieve deeply. There was a church in, in Chesapeake, Virginia, where Kim and I started community church, and they were just maybe five miles up the road, and they started about the same, we started about the same time, and we grew at about the same pace, and we actually built buildings, uh, phase one, phase two, phase three buildings at about the same time, and we both got to about 3,000, 3,500 at about the same time, and then it came out that Pastor Bob was having an affair with the youth pastor's wife. And Faith Alive Church doesn't exist anymore. 
It breaks my heart. I grieve deeply when that happens. But hear me, guys, I am not so arrogant as to believe it can't happen to me. Kim and I have been married 42 years. I've never even come close to cheating on her. But you know one of the reasons why? Because I'm never alone with a female. Ever. Ever. Other than immediate family. I just don't. I just guard it. I just don't ride in elevators. I don't ride in cars. don't sit in restaurants. If you ever see that happen, come and say, Jim, what are you doing? I just, I don't. Why? Not because I'm afraid. I just understand that Satan is going after whomever he can, and those are my areas. So I don't know what your areas are that you need to be careful about, but be careful. Be guarded. Don't ever let yourself slip into this conceit thing that says it can't happen to me because you just set yourself up for a fall. And I know, I know, Peter, Peter was probably just trying to show his commitment. He was just trying to say, hey, Jesus, I love you so much this won't happen to me. But Jesus' responds to him, makes it clear that's not the way to show your commitment. Mark 14, 30, truly, I tell you, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. How did Jesus know that? Well, because he's in touch with the Father, but also because Jesus understood that conceit was the first warning sign that you're drifting. He set himself up for a fall. That's why Paul warned us in 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, verse 12, don't be so naive and self-confident. You are not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God-confidence. First warning sign, first warning sign that you're drifting from God is pride, conceit, judgmentalism towards somebody else that's failed, believing that could never happen to me. Afterward, Jesus went to the garden to pray. After the supper, he went to the garden to pray. He took his disciples with him, and then he took Peter, James, and John a little further in uh, to have them stand guard and to pray for him while he went deep into the garden to pray privately. He got alone with the Father, and he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will, not mine, be done. When he finished that agonizing prayer, he He returned and he found Peter, James, and John asleep, which leads to our second sign. I'm simply calling it carelessness. Mark chapter 14, verse 37, Jesus said these words. I mean, kind of picture that scene. Jesus knows what's coming. He knows that he's on the verge of all the things that are going to happen during this night. He brings his three most trusted friends to pray for him. And when he comes out of that agonizing prayer, he finds them asleep and he says, couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? There's a, you could say there's an angry spirit in that. I don't believe that's consistent with Jesus' character. I think there was a brokenness in that. Come on, guys. Are you so careless that, 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 you've, that, that you just kind of let down your guard at the most critical time? Hear me, guys. Once you've decided that you got this in your own strength, it's really easy to neglect the things that kept you close to Jesus, who's the one who kept you going. You find yourself thinking, you know, I'm doing fine, so, uh, so I didn't spend time in the Word today. It's okay. Uh, I, I'm really busy. So, okay, well, you know, I got too busy. I didn't spend a quiet time. I didn't have time to, to really spend in time in, with prayer with the Lord today. But, but the Lord understands that I love Him. 
Okay, well, you know, I don't have time for a small group. I know Jesus had a small group, and he thought it was critical that he have a small group, but I'm not, I don't have time for that. Uh, but, but, but it's okay, because it doesn't fit in my schedule. Or, or, you know, I tend to run late on Sunday. I know, I, I come in for the last song, but I you don't know, really need that worship stuff anyway. I get there in time for the sermon. That's all that matters, right? Whatever those accommodations are, you need to understand, I'm not trying to be legalistic about spiritual disciplines. I'm just, I'm just letting you know if you start thinking, I got this, I don't need God, I don't need to keep him close. It's only a matter of time before you get careless about doing the things that keep the relationship strong. That's true in your marriage and friendships and everything else as well. I love the song that we sing sometimes, it's your breath and our lungs so we pour out our praise. When Kim and I were in the Philippines, we, there was an annual thing that we always looked forward to. The U.S. ambassador had a, uh, had a residence in the city where we lived in Baguio City, which is up in the, in the mountains, and so it's cool, and it's called the summer capital of the country. And, and so every year at Christmas, the U.S. ambassador would throw a big bash, and he would invite all of the Americans that lived in that area to come to this big bash. And so we'd always go, and there'd be a mixture of missionaries and Peace Corps and business people that were there. I was talking to a Peace Corps guy one day, and he had, had a cigarette in one hand and a drink in the other hand, and when he asked me what I did in country, I told him I was a missionary and we were starting schools and churches. And he said, yeah, you Christians, you, uh, you know, Jesus is your crutch. And I said, dude, there's something you don't understand. Uh, he ain't my crutch. He's my iron lung. <laughs> He's my air. Uh, and anyway, and I reached up and took his cigarette and his drink away. And I said, anyway, most all of us need crutches, don't we? He grabbed his drink and left. Let me illustrate it this way, okay? Maybe this will help you to understand what I'm trying to say. I don't know if you've ever attempted a multi-day fast before. I've done several three-day fasts from over the years. Um, funny thing about fasting several days is that this, the first and second day, you're really kind of hungry, and you're trying to figure out if you can do this or not. But the third day, some of you know, the third day, you actually go, you know, I'm not really even hungry. I could keep going. I'm not hungry. And I'm told, I've never done more than three days, but I'm told by people that have that, that you can go for many more days and not be hungry at all. But if you keep going beyond a certain point, one day you will wake up blind. If you've read some of those stories about prisoners that go on hunger strikes, that's exactly what happens. And, and what's going on physiologically is that after that third day, your body is starting to feed on itself, and when it runs out of res reserves of fat and muscle and that sort of thing, it starts feeding on vital organs, and because your eye is the most uh, vulnerable vital organ you got, it's the one that goes first, and eventually you die. That's, that's what happens when you keep going. You can't live without food. Yeah, Jim, what has that got to do with my relationship with God? Hear me, guys. When you get careless about time in the Word, time in worship, time in fellowship with God's people, you're living off of your spiritual reserves, and you don't even realize you're starving yourself to death. Until one day, you're presented with a temptation, and you find yourself doing something you never dreamed you'd do because you didn't have the strength to say no. And it's simply because 
you got careless about maintaining your relationship, and now you're too weak to fight. Matthew 26, 41, Jesus said, watch and pray so you won't fall into temptation. He's saying, don't be careless about keeping close accounts with me. Don't be careless about these warnings of conceit that leads to carelessness because one day you'll be too weak to fight the temptations that Satan throws at you constantly. You with me? The first spiritual thermometer gauge thing is conceit. The second one is carelessness, which leads to number three, cowardice. That's what happened to Peter. Jesus comes out of the garden. Judas betrays him with a kiss. The disciples did exactly what Jesus said would happen. They scattered. So let's pick up the story in verse 54, Mark 14, 54. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. In other words, Jesus, uh, Peter, having said, they may run, but I won't, is trying to hold on to that idea. He's trying to stay not too far away from Jesus, but he really doesn't want to be identified with Jesus either. And so he's following him at a distance. And before we get too conceited about what Peter did and think that could never happen to me, um, I need to ask you, you ever find yourself following Jesus at a distance? I mean, do you ever find yourself saying, well, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian. I, I go to the coolest church. But let's don't get all holy roller about this thing. Come on, let's don't, you know. You ever been embarrassed to pray in a restaurant? You ever been embarrassed to be seen with your Bible by a coworker? Or ashamed to take a stand on a clearly biblical issue? You ever found yourself, hear me guys, understand the struggle. I do, I understand the struggle. Christianity's under attack these days. Can I get an amen on that one? I mean, we're portrayed in the movies as fanatics and ignorant people, not to mention uh, some weird stuff out there that people are doing in the name of Jesus. I mean, I understand why some of us would want to hold back. We might be a little bit reluctant. But hear me, guys, what we face uh, in terms of persecution for our faith is nothing. First century Christians, when they stood up for their faith, became lion food. Next time you're in food lion, think about that. And even in the 21st century, there are hundreds of Christians who are martyred every day, every year across the world simply because they name the name of Jesus Christ. So if you have to get a little bit embarrassed by somebody who doesn't understand your faith, maybe you ought to put that in context. Because whatever the circumstance, Jesus was pretty clear, Mark 8:38, if anyone is ashamed of me, And my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when it comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Hear me, guys, there's no such thing as a secret agent in God's kingdom. So if you ever find yourself and your temperature gauge is moving toward conceited, that could never happen to me or you recognize that you've been a little bit careless about spiritual disciplines of being in worship and in the Word and in prayer and in fellowship with the people of God, understand 
that the next step, if you reach those points, the next inevitable step, it's not if, it's when, is you will find yourself too weak to stand. You will find yourself without the courage to stand. Dr. Joe Stoley, who's the president of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, told the story some time ago. I was in an event where he was speaking, and he told the story about going to a citywide prayer meeting in the Chicagoland area, and there were, I think he said, three or 4,000 people that had gathered for this citywide prayer meeting put on by the city, and, uh, and at the end of, of that time, it was, it was post 9-11, just after 9-11, at the end of that time, they were talking about how important it was that people of faith band together, and, and during that season that they come together, and so they got a Baptist pastor, a, a Catholic priest, a Jewish rabbi, and an Islamic imam to go up on the stage and they held hands with each other, and they all held hands as an act of solidarity. We're in this together. And then they asked everyone in the audience, if, you, if you're with us to stand together like this, then please stand. And Dr. Stoley said to us as a crowd, he said, I couldn't stand. And we started to applaud. He said, don't you dare applaud. You don't understand what I just said. I said I almost stood until I froze and realized that I came that close to denying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That close. Hear me, guys. That, that thing that brings you to that cowardice point where you make that kind of confession is not something that, 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 that is obvious. It will sneak up on you. And if you have allowed conceit to slip in or carelessness to slip in, the cowardice will prevent you from taking the stand you need to take in that moment. I beg you. I beg you sincerely. If you recognize those warning signs, turn back before you get to the fourth one, which is compromise. After Peter followed at a distance for a while, then they stopped and Peter decided to join them. Look at what the Bible says, Mark 14, 54. B, there he sat with the guards. And what did he do? He warmed himself at the fire. Can, can you picture that scene? I mean, that's, that's an amazing scene to me. One of the 12 disciples one of the three that was closest to Jesus. Jesus is about to be executed, and Peter's hanging out with his executioners, sitting there like he's one of the gang, warming by their fire. How, how did he get from, I'll never run away, to sitting there with these guys within a few hours? And the answer is, he failed to recognize the warning signs as he slipped further and further away. Hear me, guys. Um, we all have needs. Am I right? We have social needs. We have physical needs. We have emotional needs. We have relational needs. I mean, we all have needs. And I'm not talking wants. You know, we all have wants, but we have needs. And you know the difference, right? I don't need a donut. I want a donut. I don't need a donut. I need air. You understand the difference? In other words, I'm going to get air somehow, and I'm going to die if I don't because I need air. I'd be fine if I skip another donut. I might be better off, right? You understand the difference between those two? So here's what I'm saying. You're going to get your needs met socially, emotionally, relationally, 
spiritually. You're going to get your needs met somewhere. It's going to happen. You're going to do it. Just like air, you're going to do it. But if you're not careful about maintaining your relationship with Jesus Christ and walking in what he called the unforced rhythms of grace, you will begin to look to the world to meet some of those needs. And I need you to hear me say, with all the the directness and yet all of the compassion that I can muster, I need you to hear me say, if you go to the world's fire for warmth, you're going to get burned. You're going to wake up one day and say, how did I get here? The answer is you didn't heed the signs. Well, I hear you, Jim, but you know, I guess some of my needs... Uh, met in the world and I get some of my needs met in the church I'm sorry it doesn't work that way Matthew 6 24 Jesus said no one can serve two masters either we'll hate the one and love the other or we'll be devoted to the one and despise the other Peter tried to live on both sides of the fence when someone uh, recognized him as one of the friends of Jesus He'd gone so far down this road, he had no spiritual strength to withstand it. And so in verse 71 of Mark 14, Peter began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Peter's cussing and swearing now, saying, no, no, I don't know this guy. It was only then, only then in that moment that he'd gone all the way down this road that he recognized how far he'd come that he'd been ignoring the warning signs all the way down the road. And the Bible says immediately, verse 72, the rooster crowed the second time, and Peter broke down and wept. All the joy of his relationship with Jesus Christ is now in shambles. The only thing left is brokenness and regret. And I came here this morning to beg you not to let that happen to you. I've seen far too many people over the years go from this high place of love with Jesus to this low place of brokenness simply because they didn't heed the warning signs along the way, and I don't want that for you. What what do you do? So what do you do when you recognize the warning signs? More importantly, before we get to that, what did Jesus do in Peter's life? What did, what did Jesus do when he knew that Peter had ignored those warning signs and he knew how far Peter had gone? He knew the whole setup. What did Jesus do? I could tell you, but I have a feeling that it would be more effective if I show you. So can we welcome some guys to the stage, our own version of Jesus and Peter? Let's welcome to the stage this morning. Jesus, it's you. You're alive. I can't believe it. You're alive. Man, I was in the boat, and I was fishing. Well, I won't catch any fish. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice that said, cast your nets on the other side. And I'm sitting here like, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing. But I won't catch any fish. So I took my nets, and I cast them on the other side. And as soon as I did, a whole mess of fish jumped in there. And I said, it's a miracle. So I started looking around like, who could perform this miracle? And I started looking, and I saw you on the shore, and you were like, it is I, the Lord. And I was like, that is so great. You're alive. I can't believe it. You're alive. Andrew, get out of the boat. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Good. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. It's him. Yeah. 
Do you love me? Yes, I love you. And by the way, that rooster clucking thing, I didn't know what it meant, but now I do, and I'm so much better for it. Good. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Get out of the boat. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe how I feel for you. I love you. You know I love you. You know everything. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That's what I love about you. There's something new about you all the time. Peter, do you remember that morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, yeah. We were in the um, upper room trying to figure out what to do next because you were dead. Well, we thought you were dead. And all of a sudden we saw Mary coming up and she was yelling, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm like, hey, I'm allergic to bees. Stay out. But the closer she got, we, I started hearing her correctly and she was saying, He's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we were like, who's alive? And she says, Jesus. She says she was at the tomb and she went in and it was empty, but there was an angel there and the angel told her to go tell the disciples and Peter that you were risen and everything was okay. So me and John, we hightailed it down there. And by the way, if John tells you he beat me, he's lying. I got there first. So as soon as I got in there, the tomb was empty, and I was like, what could this mean? And John, let me tell you about John. He is so good with words. He should write a book. I mean, just really good with it. But anyways, he says, do you know what this means? He says, everything that Jesus taught us has come true. Wait. The angel said what? The angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter he is risen and everything's okay. He, he said what? He said, go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter, you said my name. Why did you say my name? That's grace, Peter. No, no, what I did is so unforgivable. That night, people kept on coming up asking me, did I belong to you? And I was denying you left and right. There's no amount of time, my whole life, I couldn't be forgiven no. for what I did. No, no. What I did on the cross was to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. I need, to send you, uh, I need you to understand a couple of things, and we're going to close. After that exchange between Jesus and Peter, Peter became the guy who led the prayer meeting when the Holy Spirit showed up. After that exchange, Peter became the guy who stood in front of the entire city of Jerusalem and preached the gospel message where 3,000 people accepted Christ on a single day and they baptized them. And that church he became the leader of grew to thousands, tens of thousands in a matter of months. That's the same guy that did all that stuff. Also need you to understand and perhaps to remind you from earlier in the message that there were two people that betrayed Jesus on that day. Both were broken by their betrayal, but it was a very different kind of brokenness. Matthew chapter 27, verse 5, so Judas threw the money into the temple and left. We're talking about the 30 pieces of silver that he sold Jesus for. Then he went away and hanged himself. 
Peter, on the other hand, was broken, took a different approach. He took the approach that John describes from the words of Jesus himself in Revelation chapter 5, chapter 2, verse 5. And I want you to lean into this passage and we're going to close. Jesus said, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Do you see the three parts of that passage? First of all, consider. What are we considering? Are there any warning signs in my life right now? Have I allowed conceit, never happened to me, to slip into my life? Have I allowed carelessness with spiritual disciplines to become the norm for me? Have I actually allowed cowardice to begin to describe me in the way I take a stand for Christ out there? And ultimately, do I find myself compromising my faith because I'm too weak to stand in the face of what's thrown at me? Consider how far you've fallen. What do you do? You can take Judas' approach and be remorseful and give up. Or you can take Peter's approach and repent. The word repent simply means to change your direction, to change your way of thinking, to come back to the Lord and confess to Him, I- I've let it slip. I-, I see the warning signs, and I want to go back. I, wanna- I want a freshness in our relationship. I'm sorry. I'm wrong, and I want you to give me a fresh start today. And then what do you do with that fresh start? The third part, do the things you did at first. Guys, when we first come to Jesus, we're so filled with grace, we'll tell anybody that'll listen what Jesus has done for us. We first come to Jesus, we're so excited to get with our brothers and sisters, we're, we're saying, why can't we have three or four Sundays every week? Come on, we need to be together more than this. We first come to Jesus, and, and they sing one of those songs like, come to the altar, or I surrender all, and we can't stop the tears from flowing, but somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, if we aren't very intentional, we will find ourselves slipping. So what do you do? You go back to those days. Don't wait for compromise to correct the direction. Go back to your first love and do the things that you did at first. I love the latter part of that interaction between Jesus and Peter when Peter said, I don't deserve this. I, what I've done can never be forgiven. And Jesus said, it's not about you. It's about me. And what I've done makes the unforgivable forgiven. So here's the verse. And we'll close. Isaiah 1:18. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can take it out and make you clean as freshly fallen snow. Would you pray with me now? Just bow your heads. Quietness to this moment, I'm not going to keep you, but another minute, but I want you to pray with me now. Jesus, you know us. You know who we are. You know that we're fallible. You know we mess up sometimes. You know we get busy with life, and we get careless, and we don't mean to. We love you, Lord. Probably wouldn't be here today if we didn't, but so often we find ourselves getting careless about the stuff that's so important. 
bring me back, bring us back to the freshness of our first love with you. Restore in us the excitement. Thank you that you've paid the price on Calvary to make that possible. And because of your grace, it's possible. Now we're telling you we want it. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to pray a prayer with me. You can pray it silently or aloud. I don't care. Pray it in your own words. That's fine. But I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer before you leave here today. It goes something like this. Jesus, I haven't been as careful about my relationship with you as you have to make sure the sun comes up every morning. I haven't been as consistent in maintaining a closeness with you as you have in offering me grace no matter what happens in my life. And I'm sorry. Give me a fresh start today. A new life because of grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I really want to know. I really do want to know. You can write it on a Connect card. You can come to the altar and talk to the altar workers here. You can go to that decision table and tell somebody. You can text me right now. Just text New Life to 55498. But I really want to know you prayed that prayer today because I believe that something's changed in our hearts as we do. Would you stand with me as we close? The altars will be open after the service. If you're a first-time guest, please stop by the VIP table. We've got a thank you for coming gift. We'd love to put in your hands. God bless you guys for coming. Father, take us from this place with a freshness, a newness, a fresh commitment to you, and accomplish the things in our lives and through our lives that you put us on this planet for. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.